Hey there, welcome to another edition of the Livewire House Party. I'm Luke Burbank. This week on the show, we are going to be talking about getting through hard stuff. It's not going to be a bummer, though, I promise. Uh, like, say, maybe you're having trouble in the romance department. How about using witchcraft? That is what Alyssa Washuda did, which she writes about in her book of essays, White Magic. Then Anna Sale is going to stop by. She literally hosts a podcast about topics that are difficult. It's called Death, Sex, and Money. And now she's got a book out. It's called Let's Talk About Hard Things. If I wrote a book, it would be called Do We Have to Talk About Hard Things? Anna, though, actually makes a really good case for why we should have those conversations. And then we're going to hear some music from indie legend Juliana Hatfield. She had to learn computer stuff to record her latest album at home. That was hard, but she did it. All right, so here's the easy part. You stay right where you are, and the Livewire house party will get started right after this. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Live Wire is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving or cleaning, even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke. How's it going? It's going okay. I have to tell you, I have embarked on a new personal improvement project this week. Uh-oh. Check this bad boy out. 62 ounce of gin. water oh. flask. <laughs> 62 ounces is a half gallon-ish, right? I am trying to drink uh, 100 ounces of water a day. Nice. And uh, I'm feeling very hydrated, but I have been visiting the restroom probably 15 times a day. So there may be a point during the show where I have to sneak out. Just cover for me, okay? Hey, man, it's worth it. It's worth it to have all of your cells plump with H2O. They are drowning in H2O <laughs> currently. All right, you ready to do this radio show? Let's do it. Molly, are we recording? Hey, Luke, we're rolling. All right, take it away, Elena. <laughs> From PRX, it's Livewire. Recorded from our actual houses, welcome to the Livewire house party. This week, writer Alyssa Washuda and podcaster Anna Sale, with music from singer-songwriter Juliana Hatfield. I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello, and now, the host of Livewire, Luke Ah, uh, Thank you so much, Elena Passarello. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. we got a great show in store for you this week. If I make it through, 
<laughs> so the water that I've been consuming, even while Elena, you were doing that little intro, I was sneaking in. Do it. Just a few more sips. Yeah. Um, of course, each week on the show, we like to ask the Livewire listeners a question. This week, we asked, "Tell us about a trivial disagreement that you can never seem to resolve." Uh, one of our guests, Anna Sale, has a book out about having hard conversations about important topics. So we thought we would ask people about hard conversations about totally unimportant topics. So we'll get to those coming up in just a little bit. First, of course, it's time for the best news we heard all week. So a little reminder at the top of the show that there is good stuff happening in the world. Even though sometimes it's easy to forget, we like to uh, tell you about those events. Elena, what's the best news that you heard all week? Here's something out of the BBC that I just love that connects to this kind of new global practice. All right. BBC reports that you can now, if you are a Romanian citizen, get your vaccine at Bran Castle, which is this 14th century castle that is believed to have given Bram Stoker the inspiration to write his version of the Dracula story. So you can go into Dracula's castle and get your COVID vaccine. (laughs) Now that should be appealing to people, right? I mean, we're running into that point where there seems to be, at least in a lot of places, enough vaccine, and we just want to get people more interested in receiving the vaccine. So this is like a perfect solution. Yeah, that's what the report says. Um, There was a survey that was done, and Romania has uh, reportedly the highest hesitancy levels toward the vaccine in Europe. So Hmm. they opened up this as an opportunity to maybe make it kind of like a fun, interesting thing to do. And all the signs that point you, you know, toward where you get the vaccine are these like gothic hands pointing Mm -hmm. that say in like blood red letters, vaccinere, this way. (laughs) And, you know, they're not the only group to do it. Um, Last. Last month you could, I don't know if you still can, but you last month you could get vaccinated under the Big Blue Whale at the National History Museum in New York City. Oh, nice. And they put a gigantic Band-Aid over the, the arm, the little dorsal fin of the whale. Um, you could get vaccinated in March at Westminster Abbey in the UK. Mm, very fancy. And there are tons of uh, uh, national art museums in like Rio de Janeiro in Brazil and in Turin in Italy where you can get vaccinated amidst like famous paintings which I just love that sort of fusion of trying to get people more excited about this process by uh, putting them in these amazing national spaces. It just like grills my cheese so much to think about that. Yeah, and also I I understand the tagline they're using is, I want to fix your blood. (laughs) Uh, That's really, that's what I get from you on that one, Elena. (laughs) You could call it Vladsonation. I don't know. (laughs) The best thing I saw all week, Elena, once again takes us to Canada. (gasps) Second week in a row that I am bringing a story from the Great North. Uh, This one was in St. Lambert in Montreal, on the South Shore in Montreal. Did you have to call a Tim Hortons to figure out how to pronounce that? No, I'm just winging it on St. Lambert. Somebody's going to tell me it's St. Lambert, probably. (laughs) St. Lambert. But in Montreal, this woman had leaned her bicycle up against the side of a building as and she was on a quiet residential street and she was just running inside uh, to look at an apartment really fast. She didn't feel like locking her bike up. And to her horror from like inside the apartment, she looks out on the street and someone is stealing her bicycle. Oh no. And so she runs down to the street, starts running after the person on the bike, but you know, he's too fast on the bicycle. Well, two other cyclists over 
heard the woman <gasps> yelling, stop thief, and they start chasing the guy who stole the bicycle. <gasps> these are both women, these cyclists. One of them is a recently retired provincial police officer. <laughs> First of all, the guy who steals the bike doesn't really know he's being followed. <laughs> and then at some point he realizes these two <laughs> women behind him are on his tail. So he starts riding faster and then they're riding fast. It's like a Steve McQueen film yeah. or something. <laughs> they end up going 13 kilometers, Whoa. which is eight miles. I looked that up. You called Tim Hortons to get that conversion. I did, yeah. <laughs> Another cyclist joins the chase. <laughs> Finally, the thief is so tired, he crashes into a police car <laughs> and is promptly arrested. Promptly put inside and, of it. <laughs> and taken away. How great is that? That's a great story. And so she got her bike back unharmed. She got her bike back and she told the CBC that the lesson that she has learned is lock up your bike. So, although I have to say, that almost makes the whole thing worth it. What a yeah. cool like Saturday afternoon, right? Yeah, what great exercise, you know, yeah. for everyone involved. Yeah, I mean even the even the bad guy got a exercise in. <laughs> Not the bad guy getting exercise, but the fact that this woman got her bike back. That is the best news I heard all week. <laughs> All right, let's get our first guest on over to the Livewire house party. Elaine, are you ready for some magic? <laughs> We're going to be talking to Alyssa Washuda about her new book, which is called White Magic. It's a collection of intertwined essays about land and heartbreak and colonization, and also how she became a powerful witch. Alyssa also teaches creative writing at The Ohio State University. Alyssa Washuda, welcome to the Livewire house party. Yay. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, I'm in Portland, Oregon. I am not too far from Cowlitz country, um, which is the tribe that you're from in Washington state, but you grew up in New Jersey. What was your kind of relationship with, with that part of your family history being that you grew up on like the opposite end of the country? Yeah, we would get back to Washington maybe every other summer when I was growing up. So I certainly knew my family really well, uh, my mom's side of the family. And I had, of course, a sense of who I was as a Cowlitz person um, and a Cascade descendant. But it wasn't until I moved to Seattle in 2007 that I really more fully understood what it meant to be Cowlitz because it was more of a part of my everyday existence to be in relationship with the land. I was going to tribal council meetings for the first time and just had like a fuller sense of what it meant to be a member of my family and of my tribe. When I uh, saw that the title of this book was White Magic, I guess I thought maybe that was just kind of, you meant that like figuratively, but like the book is really about magic. <laughs> like it plays a big <laughs> role in the book, um, when did you start having a relationship with magic and being a witch? I was always interested in it as a kid because I had seen it in my children's books, like the, mm. the Dory Little Witch series. I really wanted to be inside those books and any kind of witch representation I had like this yearning to to be part of that. And especially after I uh, saw the movie The Craft when I was about 12. <laughs> wow, so my evangelical Christian parents were right. Consuming that kind of media would make one get involved in witchcraft. For sure, for sure. And um, it was just sort of a curiosity 
when I was a kid and when I was a teenager, it still seemed really off limits because I thought I needed to have some kind of initiation into the world of witchcraft. You know, I needed to have a coven or something like that. Um, That's what the internet said. So I just kind of, you know, left that into the, the realm of the imagined until I think I was in my early 30s. I had a few friends in Seattle who were witches and who read tarot. Um, I had a therapist who was very practiced in (laughs) astrology. And I started with tarot and a little bit of astrology. It got really deeply into those. But that's, that's kind of how it started, just by having my cards read by a friend and realizing this is just storytelling in a way. Mm. Yeah, one of the things you write about in the book is uh, is using magic in relation to some experiences you had, particularly with men um, who were not great. Did you feel <laughs> like the magic and the spells, did that work? Did it have the desired effect? Oh, <sighs> No, (laughs) but, (laughs) you know, I learned early on that when I was setting my intentions, if I was asking for something like, you know, I want this person to love me or whatever I was asking for, I would write, write that down and write down or something better for all involved. Because I knew, I knew deep down that what I wanted was a bad idea. (laughs) You know, it was, (laughs) it was, um, it was selfish and it was foolish. Um, but, you know, I think magic was a really important part of this transformation that took place for me that the book is really about. Um, so I got sober actually on this day six years ago. Hey. Wow, congratulations. Wow. This is auspicious for the yeah, chat. Yeah, super auspicious. So um, after I got sober, I just realized I needed to find a way for life to mean something to me, to to feel like things made sense in the world. And um, I started to try to believe in some kind of power in the universe. And then I did believe. Um, And then in 2016, uh, I had a breakup that really, really hurt. And it was really hard for me to take. And that's kind of at the center of this book, that this relationship, as much as I tried to, you know, carve my intentions into candles and cast spells and make it work that way, it wasn't going to work out. And so I had to find a way to trust that things were going to be okay. And magic did that for me. This is the Livewire House Party. We're talking to Alyssa Washuda. Her new book is White Magic. Uh, we got to take a quick break. Stay with us. It's Livewire from PRX. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke. I didn't see you there. It's that time of year again. My seasonal allergies are back. Oh, congratulations. But also, it's our spring member drive, which is happening right now through May 17th. Oh, I like that much more than seasonal allergies. Yeah, if you are not yet a member of Livewire's League of Extraordinary Listeners, well, now is the time to do it. Why? Well, because this League of Extraordinary Listeners... Uh, is what keeps the lights on over at Livewire Inc., uh, which is definitely not the association that we are part of. Probably a 501c3. They don't let me near any of the paperwork Mm -hmm. or bookkeeping, and it's really better that way. Point is, we 
We are only able to keep doing this show because of support from our members, and we would love it if you could join us in that right now. Plus, there are all kinds of sweet perks, including uh, special discounted tickets to live recordings, on-air shout-outs, exclusive content. Uh, and, Elena, uh, one more thing that, of course, we would not be a self-respecting public radio show if we didn't offer this. If we didn't offer the most iconic public radio swag of all time, a tote bag. True iconic status. Yeah, but it's not just any tote bag. This is like a really good tote bag. It's got a second zipper, an internal zipper. Yes, whatever you want to put in the tote bag, that's your business, okay? What we're mm -hmm. here to talk about is you keeping LiveWire going. So head on over to LiveWireRadio.org to see the various member levels. It does not matter how much you are giving every month to LiveWire. It just matters that you do it because it goes a long way for us. So thank you. Welcome back to the LiveWire House Party. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. We're talking to Alyssa Washuda. Her new book is White Magic. Um, a big part of this book, uh, as we we're talking a little bit before the break, Alyssa, is uh, you getting sober. And uh, as you mentioned, today happens to be your six-year anniversary of getting sober. Congratulations. Um, Thank you. That is absolutely no small feat. Um, what's it been like for you as a writer uh, before and after uh, your relationship with alcohol? It was a huge change. What I didn't realize was that getting sober changed so much that didn't seem related back when I was drinking. I hadn't been writing super consistently in the couple of years before getting sober. I'd been trying to work on another book, but there were just sort of fits and starts, and I didn't really know exactly what I was working toward. And life just felt like such a struggle that I didn't have time. But after I got sober, my life just started changing for the better in such huge ways. I had to figure out what was actually making me feel bad in my life and actually do something about it. And it took a little while, probably a year or more to really um, earnestly get back into writing. But once I did, I was able to come to it with this focus and this clarity that I had never had before. And in 2017, that's when I really got rolling with writing White Magic. Well, speaking of the book, I was hoping you might be able to read this section that kind of describes for people that hear a book. It's called White Magic. It, to some degree about your relationship with magic and tarot and witchcraft. And they're trying to kind of like wrap their head around what this is like for you. I feel like this, this part of the book kind of is a good snapshot of that. I was born just before the dawning of the age of Aquarius, or maybe a couple of decades after it, or maybe it hasn't even dawned. And anyway, I didn't know what that meant until I looked it up on Wikipedia. <laughs> we crystal witches of the internet think what we're about is not new age, but it surrounds us like water surrounds a fish. I'm learning from Wikipedia that it's exactly what we're about. Only we get our horoscopes as tweets and find our psychics on Yelp. We want the divine. We want to be healed and we want to fix. Most of all, we seek what we can't locate in the vast universe of the internet. Reassurance that it will be okay. New Age eats the ancient, trying to digest old systems. It's a collage of angels, magic numbers, incantations, and stolen beliefs. A collage is made not just of what's there, but also of the absence of the material from which the pieces are cut. 
I got good at working gaps in essays, but not in life. Instead of fearing silence and disrupting stillness, I want to be ready to set down my cards, close the JPEG of my natal chart, and ask the quiet to tell me what this life should be. I'm inclined to now list the things I know about the occult. This seems like the place to talk about witch picture books that introduced me to written words, episodes of Sabrina the Teenage Witch that wormed into my brain as backdrop to my homework, and haunted houses across the ghost-obsessed pocket of rural New Jersey where I spent my first 18 years. I've been reading about witchcraft and spiritualism and Carl Jung and all kinds of mysteries, and I feel I should introduce a literature review here to show that I know the history of the dark arts, but I actually don't. (laughs) The purpose would only be to convince you I'm not stupid. I couldn't convince any of my boyfriends, so I doubt I could convince someone looking at me through the thick veil of this page. Anyway, I don't care about Crowley or Salem only about my own conjuring. I haven't memorized the entries in the catalog of demons. I don't even know the name of the one inside me. That's Alyssa Washuda reading from her new book, White Magic, here on the Livewire House Party. One of the things uh, that, that, that you were doing from a writing perspective that you talk about in the book was you, you got this gig writing from inside a drawbridge right. in Seattle. Yeah. <laughs> and then you kind of really found a way to write about, you know, Native people in the Northwest uh, that made sense for this project. What did you end up doing? Yeah, you know, I proposed this project about this um, serpent spirit that had at one time been sort of living in or above Lake Washington and at several other points along the Seattle Fault. It's written about in some research papers on earthquakes. Mm. Um, It was mentioned in Forbes a couple of times in 2016. Once I got in the tower, which it was like a little um, terrarium, and I was just this this little plant <laughs> growing inside. Um, it was so hot in the summer. <laughs> and I just started doing research and, you know, ended up learning so much about the history of the shaping of the land that became Seattle. The regrading, dredging, um, the creation of the ship canal itself, uh, the moving of so many tons of earth was just absolutely fascinating. It kind of became a larger essay than I really thought it would as I thought about the idea of impermanence and the way that settlers were insistent upon making the land, the state of the land permanent, no more, you know, seasonal flooding, no more effects of the tides. It would just be, the same always. Mm. And that had become so destructive in my own life. This desire for permanence was keeping me from, you know, accepting the fact that things change. Mm. Did you have a a sort of a specific person in mind or an idea of the reader for this book when you were writing it? I mean, I think my reader was just myself for Mm. a lot of the process. After failing so much at trying to write essays I thought would be palatable and would be interesting and, you know, write toward a reader. That wasn't working. And eventually I really did have to write for myself. And and I did it in earnest. But then also, I think I was writing for my Twitter mutuals. Um, <laughs> it was good for me to feel 
like I had a connect, an actual connection with this audience as I was writing it because I knew that I didn't want to rush this book and I didn't want to try to reach my readers sooner than, you know, sooner than was good for the book. And so just, you know, sending out my little tweets was really good for <laughs> feeling like I was connecting with that audience in some way and allowed me to be patient with the writing process. Yeah. And I mean, you, you have, you have a, a part of the book where you, where you say like, Hey, I don't know if this is meeting your expectation as the reader, you know, I mean, you, you sort of call it out. And, and of course, then the irony is that it's a really great experience to read this book. Thank <laughs> like, you. So I think maybe you sort of naming it helped create this very readable, very compelling book. The book is White Magic. Alyssa Washuda, thank you so much for coming on the Livewire House Party. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, special thanks this episode to Kevin Bumate of Portland, Oregon. Kevin is part of the Livewire member community and is generously supporting our show with a donation each month. And we are very grateful for that support because it's how we are able to do the show. So a big thanks this week to Kevin B. This is the Livewire House Party from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank. That is Elena Passarello. Each week, we like to ask the Livewire listeners a question and get those responses. This week, we asked, tell us about a trivial disagreement you can never seem to resolve. Elena, you have been uh, collecting those up. What are people saying? A surprising saying? amount of them, Burbank, have been about food nomenclature. Oh, Would you okay. classify X food as Y? So I want to okay. know your feelings about both of these. Okay. I, I rule with an iron whim. Great. <laughs> More than happy to give my opinions on these things. Here's a 17-year-old disagreement that Jeff has with Jeff's wife. <laughs> Cheesecake. Is it a cake or a pie? I mean, it seems like it would be a cake, right? I mean, cake is right there in mm -hmm. the name. And also it doesn't have a it doesn't have a crust over it, which I think of as being a, a pretty important a top, part of most like pies. an apple pie top yeah. right it has a crust but it doesn't yeah. have a top so you're going cake yeah what about you I, filling it has it's it's made of filling and that feels very pie to me maybe it's mm -hmm. its own thing yeah do we know which side of this jeff is on no jeff declined mm. to comment um mm -hmm. but uh i think since it's a 50 50 split we have to call it something else like a tort or something <laughs> right <laughs> all right what's another one how about this one from Scott? Uh, this is this is a dilemma that's dividing Scott's department at work. Is pizza hmm. an open-faced sandwich? Oh, no. You like pizza, so I feel like you should have an opinion here. I mostly subsist on pizza. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm the perfect person to weigh in on this. An open-faced sandwich. I mean, I guess by its most technical definition, right? I'm going to disagree. I think pizza, because the ingredients are kind of baked into the pizza – you know, it's more, I would say it's more of a bread. Okay. But ironically, it is also a pie. <gasps> it's true. And it doesn't have a top. Going back to the first submission. Ooh, so yeah. now I believe a cheesecake is a cake. Yeah. Okay. What's another one? How about this one from Maggie? The Olympics are stupid. We don't need another thing Whoa. for countries to fight about. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I have to say like for the, for the folks that, that have dedicated their yeah. lives to being a part of it, I think it's pretty cool. Um, you know, f for them, I, I, I think it's, I mean, I don't think the interesting thing about the Olympics is 
everyone's always competing to get the Olympics in their town, and all of the evidence seems to indicate that it's not great for the local economy. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen like pictures of Sochi in Russia, where they had the Winter Olympics some time ago. It has everything has reverted back to nature. <laughs> They have like stadiums that are just being overtaken by ivy. It's quite I, eerie, but it does not seem like it was the boon to Sochi that everybody was looking for. Well, you know, I lived in a city when it got the Olympics and as it prepared for and then had the Olympics, um, Atlanta. And it seemed to do pretty good mm -hmm. for Atlanta. My mother uh, was a, like a driver around her for the Bahamanian Olympic team. Really? Yeah. She had to wear an official like hostess outfit and she didn't like it because it wasn't fashionable enough. So she went to the Belks and got a better dress and she got to meet Sydney oh Poitier. So she was very excited about that. Oh my gosh. That is like the most your mom story. I think we've heard <laughs> Mother's Day was last week, but we're still celebrating Elena's mom. Sure. All right. We are talking about hard conversations on the show this week. And our next guest might be America's foremost expert on that topic because she's the creator of the podcast Death, Sex, and Money. She's talked to Jane Fonda, Madeline Albright, Mahershala Ali, and lots of others about touchy topics. Uh, and she's got a new book out called Let's Talk About Hard Things, where she dives into five of the most fraught conversation topics. Death, sex, money, family, and identity. And she shares what she has learned from having all of those conversations on her show. So let's get into it. Anna Sale, welcome to the Livewire House Party. Thanks. I'm so glad to be here. <laughs> I'm wondering, Anna, be before you started hosting Death, Sex, and Money, what was your just kind of like resting comfortableness with conversations that could be really intense or awkward? Were you somebody who was pretty good at it already, or is that a muscle you had to develop with, with the podcast? I'm not sure if I was good at it, but always that's been the like thing that I've like zoom, like been magnetized towards. Like I was mm. one of those kind of insufferable teenagers who would say things like, "Ugh, I just small talk, whatever. Let's just get <laughs> into it," you know. Um, so that's been my way. Like I, I, I think that I have developed some skills over the years of that I did not have, um, but I've always really liked just locking in with someone. And whether it's talking about something that's tough or just something that's like helping me really like learn something about somebody, it's 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 more curiosity than kind of like pressing on a bruise that, that gets me excited. I'm curious about how you prep for an interview because I mean, you've been a reporter for a long time and if you're interviewing a politician, you can like just check out their voting record. There's the sort of obvious research. But when you're going to talk to somebody about the death of a loved one or their sex life or whatever, like what's what's the prep for that like? Well, it's it's less like, ooh, what's the how do I get them to like be as graphic as possible about the pain or privacy in their bedroom? What I'm interested in is like moments in their life, maybe where they lost the script. So in a prep for me, I really like starting, I like we have a team of producers who work on Death, Sex and Money who are all excellent at their jobs. And and at the top of the prep, um, I like to have a timeline of someone's life and where it's like, okay, this is where they grew up. This is when they moved here. This is when they moved here. This is when they got together with this person. This is when they split up. And I just kind of like look first at that to be like, oh, that looks like an interesting life period for them. I want to know about what was going on there, you know, and then, huh. oh, now they're like in middle age. What happened there? Da, da, da. You know, it's less about now I'm going to ask about the hard thing. I'm going to be like, oh, it looks like something shifted here in your life. Maybe it was a sad thing. Maybe it was a big opportunity. Let, let's talk about that. Mm. Uh, this book starts and kind of ends talking about your first marriage 
which ended in divorce. Sounds like you and your ex are are pretty amicable, mm-hmm. but I'm still wondering if you were kind of nervous about like committing that stuff to paper. It's one thing to say it on a podcast or talk about it in an interview. It's another thing to like have it in a hardback <laughs> book <laughs> in the psychology section of the bookstore published by Simon & Schuster. Like, were you worried about that? I mean, I actually found that to be one of the biggest places of kind of growth while I was writing. Um, I, I I remember um, Mary Carr wrote a book called The Art of Memoir. And one mm-hmm. of the things that she writes about in there is for her, something she's chosen to do is when she t- writes about people in her life, she shares the pages with them as she's doing it. And um, I did that with my parents. I did that with some of my sisters. Who, and I did that with my ex as well. And like, you know, that's like the weird email to write. Hey, it's <laughs> yeah. been a few years. I know we don't really we're not in close touch, but I'm writing a book, and, and you're here's in some it. pages <laughs> about how our marriage fell apart. Um, and uh, and it was like it was really cool. It was really cool to like get to just have that correspondence with him. I ended up interviewing him in person about like what was going on, like because we were. There had been enough time that all the like hot emotions had mm-hmm. sort of dissipated. We're in really different places in our lives now. And so we could be like, well, how do you remember that? Like, oh, I remember that, you know, without sort mm-hmm. of like um, feeling the things that we felt at the time. So um, it just made me going through that process. Like, I feel really grateful um, for him for, for like sort of giving his blessing. Um, and I also just feel really compassionate for both of us. Like we were both trying really hard and, mm-hmm. um, it just was a marriage that wasn't going to be forever. And, and I feel like, um, kind of writing about that and being like, oh, those were hard conversations because they made us face something that was hard and sad, which was we wanted different things and, it was a shock to both of us, and then it took us a while to accept it. And then um, I think we've we, our lives have unfolded for both of us in ways that are we both wanted, but apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you feel a responsibility since your show, uh, Death, Sex, and Money, since you're really asking the guests to just be as honest as possible, do you feel like you really have to reflect that back, you know, as the host and when you're writing this book and talking about your marriage that that ended in divorce, things like that. Like, do you have to kind of lead by example with the? I mean, you do actually say too that this book is not a manifesto for radical honesty, as well. Yeah. So what do you mean by that? <laughs> well, okay, so, to, so the, it's not a manifesto for radical honesty because I feel like radical honesty implies a sort of like I'm going to tell you how it is, and I don't care how you feel about mm. it. I just need to be straight. You know, um, my philosophy about hard conversations is that like. It's important to be honest and to name the thing that's happening, but also all of these conversations are happening in the context of a relationship. So you need to tend to that relationship while you're having the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but more, it's not so much like, oh, I owe this to people. It's more, I have seen how important that can be. Like to to have someone model for you, like that I'm going to talk about something that like, maybe you listening or you reading have a lot of shame about because you just don't know how to, you know, don't know what it says about you or you're afraid you'll be judged. And like, I've seen that like when people do hear like, yeah, this happened and it was really sad and embarrassing in the moment. And like, I got through it and like to hear that when you're struggling, that can be just such an important thing. 
um, just to not feel like you're alone. And also, like, uh, there's not a lot in here. I mean, I, I there's a lot of private things that I write about in the book, but also, um, you know, it's stuff that I'm, like, proud that I worked through. So I don't mm-hmm. feel, I didn't feel a sort of like, oh, my God, I'm really going to have to push myself to make this public. It was more like, this is what happened to me. Mm. I'm going to tell you about yeah. it. <laughs> You wrote about something uh, with your husband where you were trying to decide if you should rent an apartment Mm -hmm. and how you were being very concerned about the finances of that and if that was going to be something that would be affordable, et cetera. And I think you write that what you figured out later was you were really just trying to kind of have control of a situation. Oh, yeah, 100%. Which (laughs) maybe that's sort of like psychology 101, but I hadn't thought – it caused me to reexamine like 80% of the arguments I've had in my life with people I've been in relationships with where I'm like, what was really going on there? Oh, I was probably trying to be in control of stuff. Yeah. Do you feel like hosting this show and thinking about this stuff as much as you do now and and now working on this book, do you feel like it's changed you as a person? Are you like more able to kind of step out of your experience and, and kind of analyze it more accurately? Well, I analyze it more accurately, but all that stuff is still there. Ask my husband, Arthur. He will tell you I am annoying and not fun to make financial We're decisions We're interviewing with. him right after this, <laughs> yeah, by the way. Next. So <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's an equal access thing. So half the show is you and half the show is Arthur. Yeah, I mean, he, he's a good interview. I'd recommend it. Um, <laughs> it's, it's like now we just like, okay, here's Anna doing her thing that she does where she seizes up and gets freaked out and like thinks that everything's going to fall apart if we buy a rug. And, you know, and then she'll come around, you know, and and um, and and this and therapy has helped with this, too. I have this wonderful therapist right now where we're in that little like voice of me who's like, ah! she's like, she, my therapist, she's like, let's just listen to her for a minute. What's she afraid of? And she mm-hmm. lets me like sit in the voice of the afraid person. And I just mm-hmm. get to say all the crazy wild stuff that I'm afraid of. And then once she's like had her little piece, said her little piece, we'd be like, okay, we heard you. We don't agree with you about everything, but you're, it's out. That's out there. So um, that's more what I think like making the show and writing the book and, and also like living in close proximity all the time with my partner during this pandemic. Like you get really used to your patterns. You get to know mm-hmm. them. And I don't think I've changed a lot, but I can move through it more quickly because mm-hmm. we just like here is happening again, you know. Mm-hmm. We're talking to Anna Sale from the Death, Sex, and Money podcast here on the Livewire House Party. She has a book out called Let's Talk About Hard Things. Do you find yourself being emotionally drained from hosting Death, Sex, and Money, particularly the stuff around death? You know, people have asked me that. And the, the, the bigger feeling that I have is like, wow, I'm just so honored that that person shared this with me, you know? And usually... When even if it's a really heavy burden or something really hard, you can hear a little bit of lightness towards the end of the conversation from just their experience of getting to talk to somebody at length about something. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, like there are guests that just haunt me and conversations that haunt me, and I want you know I think like wow, I wonder if that person is still struggling with that thing. Um, I guess. I do I do have a hard time with um the loss of children uh mm. as a as as a parent um I think about that a lot uh, those those kind of get stuck but I think because I'm not a therapist and I'm not a social worker and I'm not a doctor who's who people are coming to and saying like help me fix this help me mm-hmm. help me like work through this in my life instead I'm this person who's like I'm here to listen 
you know, um, that's it's less like I feel a responsibility to fix their problems and more. I just feel really glad that we got to have the conversation. Is that a big takeaway from for you from hosting the show and, and from working on this book that just you said it's not about necessarily fixing the problem. It's about like holding space. It's about just kind of, I mean, listening and because I think there's this very natural response when someone's sharing something hard with us that we want to give them advice, tell mm-hmm. them how it could be worse. You know, there's like this really strong human impulse to want to fix it or somehow contextualize it. And, and maybe the best thing you can do is just be there with the person. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I sort of like came to that halfway through writing that because the book is five chapters, death, sex, money, family and identity. And I was like, huh, it's interesting that all of these things feel really hard. They're really hard in different ways. So what if in part of each chapter I say like money is hard because we don't like to admit that people have different amounts of resources. And part of that is because of things they've done. And part of that is because of luck and history. And we just don't like that fact. So we just pretend it doesn't exist. So if you start with like, that's what makes money hard. And I'm never going to fix that dynamic by being Mm -hmm. a skillful communicator. Instead, I can just say, whoa, this is why this is hard to talk about. And then Mm -hmm. you can kind of have a conversation about it. Or like with death, you can't comfort someone who's in deep grief by saying, you know, you're going to get through this. Like Mm -hmm. that is not comforting. It is much more comforting to hear, I am here and I am sorry and I know your life is shattered and I'm going to be here with you as you feel all the feelings. That can be like so healing just to to have someone who can sit with you in the hard stuff. and not try to fix it. Uh, because then you don't feel, you feel less stigma, you feel less shame, you feel less isolated. You just feel like this is some this is, this is is something I'm working through and I have like someone alongside me while I try to figure it out. Do you feel like you should be at this point an honorary therapist? <laughs> like you should have like sort of like, you know, you took like, you got enough credits like life credits that you were just accumulating by hosting this show and writing this book. I mean, you could fit in in any, you know, sort of therapist's office on the other side of the on the other side of the uh, desk or whatever. I could fit. Well, that's a real honor. I feel like therapists always just they just have well, I've had most... therapists that are way worse than you and you're not even a train. I've had some great therapists, but I've definitely had therapists where I was like, you know, Anna would probably be better at this. Like, I mean, I that's that's that is sometimes an interesting hard thing with listeners or with, you know, I'm a journalist. I -hmm. am doing this because I'm trying to like collect stories that I think sharing is in the public interest. So I am not Mm. your therapeutic advocate. I am trying to collect your story. So sometimes I have to be really clear about that. But, but I do feel just like therapy that, that sharing more of these stories is really healing and not just healing it has a really important social function right now. I mean, I feel like we are living in a time in America where our trust in institutions is falling apart, where all of us feel sort of more on our own in going through things in life that we used to just have more places and rituals and conventions to sort of like carry us through. We don't have that as much now. 
And now instead, it's like you and your buddy, who's your other 40-year-old buddy of mine. You know, I'm 40. My buddy's 40. Like, huh, this is hard. You know, people have been going through midlife yeah. forever, you know, since people could live past midlife. And it's like, oh, now we just have to, like, we, we need to help each other. And we need to, like, push ourselves to say, this is the hard part for me. What's the hard part for you? To help each other. Yeah. Well, Anna Sale, the book, Let's Talk About Hard Things, is a great read. And of course, the show Death, Sex, and Money is a must listen. So uh, thank you so much for uh, coming on the Livewire House Party. Thank you. All right, we got to take a quick break. But when we come back, we have got some wonderful music from the legendary Juliana Hatfield. Don't go anywhere. This is Livewire. Livewire is thrilled to be partnering with Portland's own Portal Tea this season. Formerly known as Tea Chai Tay, Portal Tea is the premier tea company in the Pacific Northwest. They make one-of-a-kind handcrafted tea blends like cinnamon churro chai and blueberry cream Earl Grey. Use the code LIVEWIRE, all lowercase, for 20% off at portaltea.co. Welcome back to the Livewire House Party. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarello. All right, let's get some music going at this here house party. Our next guest is maybe best known for her time as part of the Juliana Hatfield 3. She put out the singles My Sister and Spin the Bottle, which were big hits, soundtracks of my uh, high school days. And she has continued to put out lots and lots of albums over the years. Her latest is Blood. It's out now. Juliana Hatfield, welcome to the Livewire House Party. Hi, it's so nice to be here at home, at my, coming to you from home. <laughs> right? <laughs> I understand you recorded uh, your latest album, Blood. Uh, you had to learn how to operate the program GarageBand to do this? I did. I I used to record onto um, an old digital 8-track machine, which was an actual... It was kind of a big hunk of machine and huh. it had faders and I would burn mixes to a CD. This machine had a built-in CD burner and it would spit out a CD with mixes on it. And when that machine broke and died, finally, I decided to figure out how to record at home. And with, when lockdown started, I took that opportunity to finally tackle GarageBand and yeah, recorded most of the album at home. I, I've heard that you're not the most sort of like naturally technical person. Oh, Did God, you recently no. upgrade your Nokia <laughs> cell phone? Um, well, I I did actually. I finally, I just finally got my first smartphone. Wow. Um, I feel like I was kind of forced into it. Um, but yeah, I had this little smartphone from I think 2004. <laughs> yeah, everyone laughed at me about it. I'm jealous, though. I would love to go back to what my brain was like when that was what my phone was like. Mm-hmm. I, I I feel like a smartphone has made me not smart. Yeah, I think I, I think I was trying to preserve my brain by holding on to that phone. And now I just feel like I, I give up. My brain is shot like everyone else's. <laughs> Might as well just embrace it. Embrace the uh, scattered scatteredness of modernity. Along with your original music, you also seem to have a really good knack for covers. I know that you did a cover album of songs by The Police and also a cover album of songs by Olivia Newton-John. What mm-hmm. is 
your approach to like covering somebody else's music? Well, I like to really get inside of a song and make it mine. It's like I, it's like I feel like I stick my hands into in the guts and I dive inside and and it's like taking on a new skin or something. I get in there and into the guts. I don't know if I'm explaining this right. Um, Way more gruesome than I expected the <laughs> yeah. answer to be, but okay. Well, I don't like, I don't have a concept. When I go to record someone else's song, I don't think superficially like, oh, I'm going to do a quote unquote punk version of the song, or I'm going to do a bluesy version of the song. It's more like if I connect with a song and I think that I can make it mine, I'll just start molding it. I'll start singing it, playing it until it feels like it's mine. And when it starts to feel really natural in my hands and with my voice, then it starts to take on a new shape. And it's this really organic process. I'm not I'm not forcing the song into a new shape. It's just sort of becoming something different. And as it becomes different than the original, it becomes my own. Um, we're talking to Juliana Hatfield. Her new album is Blood. Um, I just watched this uh, documentary about you where you said you feel like you have not had the greatest success at relationships. And I think you said shared domesticity fills you with terror <laughs> and that you're yep. just kind of like you've just you're just sort of making peace with the fact that you may be a fairly solitary person in your life. I'm wondering about that effect on your music making. Like, could you have made all these albums and been so prolific if you if you weren't spending a lot of time alone? Maybe not. I don't. I don't think so. I think that the music making always um, took precedence for me over anyone else, over anyone in my life, over any relationship. If I ever had to make a choice between the music and a relationship, I would choose the music, the work. It's just more important to me or or I would say it's just more successful um the music mm-hmm. making has a better result for me than intimate relationships do and and yeah all my life I, I was sort of fighting against my loner tendencies and because there's a lot of pressure from from everywhere really from culture society other people pressure to do the things that the majority of people do to partner up to, you know, get married, have kids, own a home, all that stuff. And, but I never really truly wanted those things. I tried, but, um, I realize now that I can stop trying cause I don't, I prefer, I prefer solitude work and mm-hmm. solitude. It works for me. Mm-hmm. Um, well, speaking of, your very prolific career. You have this new album, Blood, that's coming out, and you're going to play us a song from it? Yeah, I'm going to play the song Mouthful of Blood. This is Juliana Hatfield on the Live Wire House Party. Bye. 
Juliana Hatfield here on the Livewire House Party. Song off her new album, Blood. Juliana, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. All right, before we get out of here, a little preview about what we're up to for next week's show. We are going to be talking to the very funny writer, Samantha Irby. Uh, Her essay collections include, Wow, No Thank You, and We Are Never Meeting in Real Life. She wins at essay naming. I great think. titles, great book right? titles, yeah. We're also going to hear some comedy from another one of our favorites, Jackie Cation. Uh, and then be ready to have your mind blown by the music of the fantastic Negrito. Plus, we're going to be looking to get your answers to our listener question. Elena, what are we asking the listeners next week? This one's great. What is a little bit of lockdown self-care that you're going to keep after the pandemic? I got mine. Yellow lights mounted on my laptop. Ah. If I turned it off, you would be horrified, Elena. No. I bet if you put a yellow light on me, I would look like a pat of butter. I assumed you have it on because you look lovely in this Zoom call. Oh, no. This is just the sun. (laughs) Well, if you have some self-care that you've started to employ during the lockdown that you'd like to tell us about, please do send it in by way of all the different social media places, Twitter, Facebook, uh, TikTok, apparently. Mm -hmm. We're at Live Wire Radio. All right, that is going to do it for this episode of the Livewire House Party. A huge thanks to our guests, Anna Sale, Alyssa Washuda, and Juliana Hatfield. Livewire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines. Laura Hatton is our executive producer. Heather D. Michelle is our executive director. Tim Harkins is our production director. Our producer and editor is Melanie Sevchenko. Our assistant editor is Trey Hester. And Jennifer Vo is our social media manager. Our music is composed by A. Walker Spring. Molly Pettit as our technical director and mixer. Additional funding provided by the Oregon Cultural Trust and the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. This week, we'd like to thank member Jenny Reed Stout of Tualatin, Oregon. For more information about our show or how you can listen to our podcast, head on over to livewireradio.org. I'm Luke Burbank for Elena Passarello and the whole Livewire crew. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week.
Dear Livewire, when we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with, with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait, actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review. Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, Reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time, because we love having this job. Uh, Thank you so much if you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast.